Good morning. My name is Josh Cheney, and I'm the pastor here at the Duntown Advent Christian Church. As a church, we have come together uh, to help each other grow in our faith, to help us learn to, to love God, uh, to love others, and to learn how to make disciples or to teach other people to do the same thing. Uh, we hope that our time together this morning is, is beneficial for you. We hope that we can show you um, just a little piece of what it looks like for us uh, to walk in faith, uh, to walk after Christ. In addition to this uh, Sunday morning worship service, uh, we also have a number of different uh, small group and Bible study opportunities that meet online throughout the week. If you would like to be a part of those, please don't hesitate to, um, to reach out and just see, what, uh, see what's available. We'd love to get you plugged into uh, to something like that. Uh, additionally, uh, if you are in a position where you find yourself in need of some sort, uh, whether that is um, you need a little bit of help paying rent, uh, keeping some utilities on, some fuel oil in your tank, um, groceries in the cupboard. Uh, if you just need somebody to talk to for a little bit and, and make some sort of a connection, uh, we are we are here to, to love you in those ways. It's not an imposition. Uh, it's not. Um, it, it's something that we look forward to doing as a church. Uh, and so, if that's if there's some way that we can serve you like that, please let us know. Uh, whether that's um, via our website. Um, duntownac.org uh, or we're on Facebook or YouTube, uh, feel free to reach out to us any of those ways and we would be happy to try and, uh, and, and meet whatever need uh, it is that you have in this difficult time. Again, we're happy that you could join us and we hope that God is glorified in everything that we do. Psalm 66, 1 through 4. Shout joyful praises to God, all the earth. Sing about the glory of his name. Tell the world how glorious he is. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. Your enemies cringe before your mighty power. Everything on earth will worship you. They will sing your praises, shouting your name in glorious songs. Therefore, since we have a high, great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. When we come before God in prayer, uh, we are coming before the creator of the universe. Uh, this is somebody who is more powerful than uh, than any king or president or, or dictator could ever hope to be. But yet we are, a told, but we are told to approach his throne with confidence, um, which is kind of an odd thing. Uh, if, if we were to go before the, the president or, or the queen of England or something like that, there would be a certain amount of um, apprehension, I think, and, and rightfully so. Uh, you know, these are these are powerful people um, that we don't that we wouldn't want to uh, say the wrong thing or stand in the wrong spot or or do anything foolish like that. Uh, and so there there would be a um, a, a fear there, um, but we're told to come before God with confidence. But that's a confidence that doesn't come from from within ourselves. That doesn't come from our heart but that confidence comes from being united, from being made one with Christ. See, as Christians, we, we no longer just stand on our own as, as individuals, but we have become one with Christ. Uh, and so when we go before God's throne in prayer, it's not, we aren't going on our own merits. We are going on the merits of, of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Um, and that's what gives us that, that, that privilege, that ability to go before God. Um, and so as we, uh, as we pray together, as we, uh, as we approach God, we can pray in, in confidence. Uh, confidence that, um, that his only beloved Son is the reason that we are able to be there at all. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for um, we thank you for springtime and for the promise of new life, for the promise that that you can bring the things that look dead and uh, and utterly devoid of any sort of life, and you can make them bloom. You can make them blossom into something beautiful. Because, Father, that, that is who you are. You make all things new. And we thank you for that, Father. We, we love you for that. That is something that is an integral part of all of our lives. Um, that, that way that you take the things that seem dead and, and rotten and, and you make them into something new and alive and beautiful. Um, Father, that is, uh, that's you, that is what you've done with our hearts. That's what you've done with our lives. Um, even though we don't always do the best job of, um, of keeping in step with that, God, we know that you are at work. And, and we want to be what you have called us to be. And so, Father, we confess to you this morning um, the sin that, that entangles us, God. Um, it draws us in. It, it seems enticing. It seems like a good idea. But, Father, it is never a good idea to go against your will. And so we confess those things to you, God. The times that we haven't told the truth, uh, the times that we've taken the, the easy way out, um, the times that, that we have uh, sought pleasure or, or, or satisfaction or contentment in, uh, in the things of this world, God, things that can't satisfy. We confess those things to you and we ask for your forgiveness. Father, we repent of those sins. We, don't, we want to turn away from them. We want to leave them behind. We don't want them to be a part of our lives anymore. And so we ask for your forgiveness and we ask for you to cleanse us of that, of that sin and of that unrighteousness, God. Wash us clean, even though our sins are as scarlet. God, you can make them as white as snow. So, Father, that is what we, we ask you to do in our hearts, and, and we trust, we believe, we know that you can do that. And, Father, we rejoice in that. We rejoice that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for that sin. And so we are free of it, Father. That is an amazing thing, and we thank you for that. God, we pray for um, the people that we love who are still far from you, um, the people who have hearts that are hard to you, um, who haven't understood the nature of their sin, and they haven't understood the nature of your love. And so, Father, we ask that you would be at work in their hearts, even right now, God, softening their hearts, making them, them fertile soil for, for you to plant the seed of your word in. God, open stopped up ears and, and open blind eyes. Father, so that those who are far away from you might be drawn near. And Father, draw them near to you. Be at work in them through, uh, through the words that we speak uh, and, and through the way that we live our lives. Uh, be at work through your word and, and be at work with your Holy Spirit, God, preparing these people, readying them, making them able and willing and desiring to hear about what you have done for us. Father, there's no way that our words can ever convince anybody. There's no way that our words can ever um, sway anybody unless you have gone before us. And so, Father, we ask that you would do that, that you would go before us, that you would soften hearts and, and open ears, God, so that, so that you might use us. Father, give us the privilege of being used by you to tell people about you. God, we don't deserve to have any part in, in that, but God, you do use us. 
You use us to tell people about Jesus. You use us to tell people about their sin and the forgiveness that is available in Christ and the reconciliation and the hope of that new creation, Father. You use us to tell people about that, which is a blessing. That is a gift all by itself. And so, Father, we ask that, that you would make us long for that gift, God, that you would make us eager and willing and desiring to tell a hurting and broken, a scared world, God, about what it is to have hope in you. Father, we thank you for the way that you have um, provided for us uh, people in, in positions of power above us, um, whether that's in, in the business world or, or in the government, God. Um, you have provided all of these things for our benefit, for our good. Um, and we thank you for that, Father. Um, we know that, that, that those are difficult uh, responsibilities to bear but that you have placed those people there for a purpose to accomplish your ends. Um, and so we trust that you are continuing to be at work. We pray that, that you would give them wisdom and, and guidance and insight, Father, surrounding them with people who are able to, um, able to show them what it is that, that, that you are doing and what it is that, that you want from them. Um, because, Father, you have put them there so that we can lead quiet, peaceable, godly lives. Um, not so that we have to live in fear, not, that we have to, not so that we have to live in turmoil, but you have put them there so that we might live in peace and be able to spread the good news of your gospel throughout our towns and our cities and our state and our country and our world, God. That's what you have called us to do. That's who you have called us to be. Um, and so we thank you that you have provided um, government and, 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 and businesses and owners and managers all so that, um, so that we can accomplish these things. Father, we pray also for, uh, for those in our, um, in our immediate church family and, and in the, uh, the various circles that, that we travel in, Father, who are, um, who are suffering from, from cancer, God, who are suffering from um, chronic illnesses uh, that, that cause them, them pain and discomfort. Father, and, and for those who are um, suffering from, uh, from other um, diseases that are difficult to, to understand and difficult to cure, uh, God, we ask that, that you would be at work in their bodies. Father, you knit them together in, in their mother's womb. You know their bodies better than any of us could ever hope to, to imagine. Um, and so, Father, we ask that, that you would be healing them even now. Um, and Father, where they are, where they are taking um, medicine or, or drugs or undergoing radiation, uh, Father, we ask that you would make those treatments um, effective, God, that they would accomplish what they set out to accomplish. Father, equip the, the, the doctors and the nurses that are, that are caring for these people with, uh, with a wisdom and insight that, that goes far beyond anything that they could hope to have on their own, um, on their own power and under their own understanding. Father, we want you to heal these bodies that are broken. Uh, in, in miraculous ways so that, so that everybody around them, everybody who sees them, everybody who hears about it has to know and has to acknowledge that you are powerful, that you are wonderful, that you are glorious. Father, we want, we want your name to be glorified. We want your name to be lifted up. We want you to look wonderful. And Father, we ask that you would do that through the, the miraculous healing of these people that we love. Father, we pray also for the, the people who are um, on the front lines of, of um, serving and caring for our society in, in these times. God, for the healthcare workers um, and, and, the, and those essential retail workers who are continuing 
to love and to care for us. Um, Father, we ask that, that their jobs would be not burdens to them, but that, but that those jobs would be a joy, um, that they would have a, uh, a, a, a peace and a, and a satisfaction and a contentment that can only come from you. But above all, Father, we pray that, that you would keep them safe, um, that they would, um, that whatever fear of, of illness or, or injury that they might have uh, as a result of this, that you would remove that and that, and that you would keep them um, healthy, that you would honor their, their sacrifice that they are making for us on behalf of your people. Um, Father, keep them safe. Father, above all, we ask that you would remove um, this coronavirus from, from our state, from our nation, and from our world. Father, we know that you have the ability to do that. And Father, we ask that you would do that even now, that you would be healing as we are praying together. Uh, that, and God, do that in such a way at such a time that nobody can doubt, that nobody can have any question left in their mind as to what it is that happened. Father, we want every single person on this planet to look at what you have done and say that you are powerful and you are wonderful. And we want every single person on this planet to worship you for what you have done. And so God, we ask that you would heal, that you would remove this um, this virus from, from the bodies of those who have it and remove it, Father, from our world completely. Father, do a great work so that we might be able so that we might be able to point people to you and say that you are the one who did this for them. Father, as we prepare to open your word together, we ask that, uh, that it would be powerful and effective. God, that, that you would use it to, to reveal to us our desperate need for you, our need for a Savior. Father, help your word to be effective and to show us exactly what it is that, that you need us to hear from it today. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Starting this week, uh, we are going to be returning to our series on the church in Ephesus. Uh, now, it's been a while since we've been with, uh, with the Ephesian church, uh, and so we're going to take a step back and, uh, and just review some of the background. Uh, so there was a man named Paul, and Paul was sent by, uh, sent by Jesus as the apostle to the Gentiles. So he was to take the good news of the gospel um, to the people who were not uh, by, by ethnicity Jewish. Um, so basically all the rest of the world. Um, and uh, on one of these missionary journeys, Paul met this young man named Timothy. Um, and uh, Timothy and Paul uh, together ended up in a city called Ephesus in what is, uh, in what is today Turkey. Uh, and they uh, preached the gospel there. Um, people were converted uh, in, in miraculous ways, and, uh, and they started a church there. Now, after Paul and, and Timothy left Ephesus, uh, Paul was arrested uh, and, and thrown into prison. And by this point, Paul and Timothy had, had known each other for, um, for a long time. Uh, and so Paul sent Timothy to be the pastor in the church there in Ephesus, uh, where apparently there were some issues with, uh, with, with disunity, uh, with quarrels and, and, um, and fighting within the church. And there was also an issue with, with false teaching. Uh, and so while, while Paul was, uh, was in prison, or, or under house arrest actually, uh, he wrote um, this book that we know as the book uh, called Ephesians, uh, so it's a letter to the church there in Ephesus. And he also wrote uh, 1 Timothy, which is the first letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. Uh, and sometime after that, Paul was released from prison, uh, and he traveled about uh, a little bit more on, on a fourth missionary journey. But somewhere on that missionary journey, he was rearrested. 
Um, and rather than being uh, placed under house arrest there in Rome, uh, he was tossed into a Roman prison, um, which was not necessarily the most pleasant place for him to be. And so coming right after 1 Timothy is 2 Timothy. So this is a letter that Paul wrote from that prison to Timothy. Uh, and it, it is the last letter, uh, as far as we can tell, that, that Paul wrote. And at the time, he didn't know how long he had. Uh, he asked Timothy to come and see him, but he didn't know if Timothy would be able to make it in time. Uh, and ultimately, Paul was, Paul was executed at the end of his time uh, in that prison. Um, and so there is an urgency to this book of, of 2 Timothy. Uh, there, there is a love that you can see clearly that, that Paul has for Timothy and a desire for him to, uh, to truly understand what it means to be a follower of Christ and to, and to wholly commit his life to that end. Uh, and so as we, as we start uh, looking at this book of 2 Timothy, that's, that's the background. That's what is sort of setting the stage for us to be able to understand what it is that, that Paul is telling Timothy to do here. 2 Timothy 1, 1-14 Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifest through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me, and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So Paul begins this letter to Timothy with a, with a very brief introduction, uh, where he introduces himself as uh, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Uh, so this is very similar to how Paul introduces himself in, in a lot of his other letters. Um, and it is, uh, it, it, it's important to Paul that his readers hear and understand that, that Paul's words, his work, his authority, uh, aren't, aren't founded on himself. Uh, that, that doesn't come from him, but his authority comes from the risen Christ, the one who has sent him out. Um, and, and he addresses this letter to Timothy, my beloved child. So Paul, as far as we can tell, was never married, never had any children. Um, and so uh, Timothy, in, in a lot of ways, was, uh, was a surrogate son to him. Um, and, and definitely in terms of uh, Timothy's faith, Paul was, was very clearly a father to him. And it's very clear from this that Paul has an, a great deal of love for Timothy. Uh, not only had they worked together um, on these missions trips for years, um, but, but there, was a, there was a fondness and an affection there that, uh, that went beyond um, just co-workers. Um, and then Paul wishes to Timothy 
grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and, and Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, and John Stott um, is, a, is a commentator, a writer from England, who, uh, who observed that, that this, that this three-word phrase, this grace and mercy and peace, is, a, is an expression of the gospel. It's an expression of God's love. Um, he says that, that God's love is expressed as being grace to the worthless, mercy to the helpless, and peace to the restless. And these, these are three streams that flow forth from, um, from the one God the Father. And later on, in, uh, as, as Paul really gets into the meat of what he wants to say to Timothy, he urges Timothy to, to fan into flame God's gift to him. So God has given Timothy this, this gift of faith that came down through his mother and through his grandmother and, and also through Paul. And Paul was urging him not to allow that gift to, to lie dormant and to just be idle, but to aggressively pursue it, to fan it into flame, to, to coax that, that ember of faith into into first a flame and then later on a, a raging fire. Um, because the Holy Spirit, as we talked about last week, um, isn't going to in, empower Timothy or, or, um, or, or bring Timothy any closer to God without Timothy taking those steps that are necessary to fan that ember up into a flame, uh, to, to coax it into a flame. That's what he says in, in verse 6 when he says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For, it says in verse 7, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Uh, so uh, evidently in Timothy's life, there was, Timothy had some difficulties, right? He was, he was, he had a tendency to be fearful and to be timid and to be um, and potentially to be ashamed of uh, of this gospel that he had in, embraced early on, um, and so that that tendency or or those those uh, characteristics made him uh, timid and perhaps a bit passive uh, and not um, not proactive in his ministry because of this fear. Uh, and we don't really know what that fear was. It, it might have been a, a fear of imprisonment, a fear, a fear of failure, uh, a fear of ridicule, or, or maybe of, a fear of loss. But it says in 1 John 4, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. And so Paul contrasts here that, that fear uh, versus that, the spirit of power and of love and of self-control. So, so fear robs us of those things, right? Fear robs us of our power. It robs us of our love. It robs us of our self-control. Uh, if you've ever seen anybody who is uh, deathly afraid of something like snakes or spiders or, or mice or something like that, uh, you can see how that fear robs them of those things. Um, if it's, if it's snakes, they see a snake on the ground, they run away screaming. They make an absolute fool out of themselves reacting out of fear to that snake. And sometimes even go and leave other people, the people around them, people who they love, in danger because they have been overcome. They have been mastered by this fear. But Paul says in contrast to that, God has given Timothy, God has given us uh, his Holy Spirit that we may share in, in a piece of his love and his power so that we might master ourselves, overcoming our sin and fear through the power that has been given to us by God. But because Timothy has not been given this spirit of fear, Paul calls him to do three things in this passage. He calls him to suffer for the gospel, he calls him to follow the gospel, and he calls him to guard the gospel. But just as soon as he, as he launches into that discussion, telling Timothy uh, to, to do these things, but he immediately takes, takes a little bit of a turn. And even though Timothy for sure understands what the gospel is, Paul can't help but reminding him, just reiterating, driving in that much deeper, 
Timothy's understanding of the gospel. Um, and as, as Paul outlines here in verse 9, uh, it was God who has saved us out of our sin. Sin being our rebellion against him. And God saved us not because of, of what we have done or, or because we are deserving of it, but because of his grace. Because he chose to give us that gift. And specifically, Paul goes on to say that that gift, that grace, is, is made manifest, is, is made real and whole and tangible in this person called Jesus. Who, um, who Paul believes was the Christ or, or the Savior of the world. And it's this person, this Jesus, um, that Paul has hung all of his hope and all of his, um, his whole life on, really. That's what he says in verse 12, when he says, "...which uh, this is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed." So Paul is so utterly confident in who Jesus is and, uh, and, and what he's done that none of the, none of the shame or the, or the pain or the suffering of being in prison amounted to anything for Paul. Um, he was perfectly satisfied to rest in Christ. He knew who Christ was. He knew that Christ knew him. And so he was, he, the, the fear and the shame of being in prison meant nothing to Paul. So this person, then, Paul goes on to say, this Jesus has abolished death. He has set death aside. He has completely undone what death did and brought to us, to Paul, to Timothy, to you and to me, light and life through the gospel. So God has saved us by his grace. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. But he gave it to us as a gift. And in that work in that thing that he did to save us like that. He defeated death and he promises to those who believe in him uh, life and, and immortality. So that is, that is what Paul is, is. He feels compelled to remind Timothy, this is the center of everything. This is the, the, the bedrock. This is the foundation of our faith, the gospel. So even though Timothy knows it, Paul tells it again. And, and we, as believers, just as much as Paul never tires of telling people about the gospel, we should never tire of hearing about it. And so that is the gospel that Paul then goes to tell Timothy to suffer on behalf of, to share in suffering for the gospel. Um, and, and this is exactly what Paul is doing right now. So Paul isn't telling Timothy to, to do something that he is unwilling to do or unable to do, but Paul is calling Timothy to do just exactly what he is doing right now, suffering, even to the point of, of being in chains. And Paul is not ashamed of that. He's not ashamed of his status. He's not ashamed of his current condition, but he trusts rather that God is faithful and God is able to fulfill all of his promises. Uh, in, in his letter to the church in Rome, in the book of Romans, uh, Paul says in, in chapter 1, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So those were basically the two classes of people. There were the Jews and then there were everybody else that Paul labels as, as Greeks here. So this is for everyone who believes. Um, but despite Paul's confidence here, uh, many others had, had abandoned him out of uh, shame over what had happened to him or, or perhaps fear that something similar would happen to them. Uh, we see some of that in, in verses 15 and 16, um, where it says that, uh, that all who are in Asia have turned away from me. So all of these people that Paul had, had preached to, that Paul had told about Christ, that Paul had... Um, had, had walked alongside of for years, have abandoned him in his time of need, except for, um, except for one man who, who sought him out there in his prison and, uh, and, and ministered to him. But ultimately, Timothy's endurance, 
is not going to come from uh, within himself. You know, Paul isn't telling Timothy to, to dig down deep and find that, find that will to carry on. Uh, but Timothy's endurance will ultimately come from God. Because when Timothy suffers for the gospel, and when Paul suffers for the gospel, they aren't suffering on their own, but they are sharing in Christ's sufferings. Uh, that's, that's what it says in Philippians 3, uh, starting in verse 8. Paul writes, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So Christ suffered. He suffered during his time here on earth. He suffered in his death. And those who would claim to be one with Christ, those who would claim uh, that, that they are Christians, that they are following after Christ, those who love him and trust him with everything that they are and everything that they have, those people, if they are one with Christ who suffered, must suffer as well. And not just suffer, but suffer gladly and, and willingly. Because as we suffer uh, alongside of him, as we suffer with him, we become more like him and we become closer to him which is ultimately the, the purpose of our faith, is to draw closer to Christ. And so Paul tells Timothy to suffer for the gospel. He also tells Timothy to, to follow the gospel. In verse 13, it says, Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Uh, so this parallels um, some of what we read back in Ephesians uh, chapters 4 and 5, uh, where we're told to, that we must no longer walk as the, as the Gentiles or as the unbelievers do, but we are to put off our old sinful self and put on our new self, that, that new life that we have in Christ. Um, and we're called to be imitators of God, to walk in love towards each other. So the gospel gives us a, a pattern to follow, ultimately. We're, we are given the pattern of Christ. We are supposed to be molding ourselves and, 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 um, and shaping our actions and our thoughts and our attitudes uh, so that we are more like Christ today than we were yesterday. Uh, and we are hopefully more like him tomorrow than we were today. That's the, that's the pattern that the gospel gives us to follow. We are to follow after Christ. But Timothy hadn't seen Christ. Uh, he, was, he was too young. He lived in the wrong uh, area. Uh, and so Timothy hadn't seen him. He didn't know Jesus personally um, in, in the same way that the other apostles did. So Timothy then has to follow what Paul has given him. He has to follow the pattern that Paul has given him. That's how he learns what it means to follow Christ. Um, a commentator named Warren Wearsby observed, though, that, um, that Timothy's um, following after that pattern, Timothy's orthodoxy, uh, was to be tempered with faith and love. Um, and he, and he says that it, it's easy for us to become stuck up and, and self-righteous in our desire to, to defend the faith or to be a, a, a witch hunter who goes around trying to make problems for other people. And so Timothy is called, and, and we are called, uh, to follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So Paul calls Timothy to follow the pattern of the gospel set forth in Jesus Christ. Paul also calls Timothy uh, then, he first calls him to suffer for the gospel, to follow the gospel, and he calls him to guard the gospel. That's what we see in, in verse 14. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. 
So in 1 Timothy 6, in, in Paul's last letter to Timothy, uh, Paul says that, that there are people around him uh, there in Ephesus who would distort the gospel. He says that they are conceited, understanding nothing, and that their influence over uh, the people around them has resulted in, in divisions and dissensions and constant friction. Um, now today, for us, that, that looks a little bit different, right? Uh, today, we would have to guard against um, you know, the, the idea of moralism, that Jesus just came to make me a better person. Um, we would, we would have to guard against uh, the, fa the false gospel that Jesus just came to make me feel good about myself, um, or that he just came to make the world into a better place, or that, he gave, or that he came to give me a nice, comfortable life. See, these are, all the, these are false gospels that we fight against today that are, um, that are, that are similar in, uh, in some respects to what Timothy would have been contesting with there in Ephesus. So Paul is telling Timothy that he needs to guard carefully, that he needs to hold fast to and protect from those who would do it damage, that deposit of the gospel that has been made with him. So don't allow it to become corrupted, don't allow it to become distorted, but instead Timothy is to use it as a pattern for his own life and he, and he needs to be prepared to suffer for it. So he needs to be prepared to suffer for the gospel, to follow the gospel, and to guard the gospel. So this is Paul's charge to Timothy, his last words to his young protege. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials shall come, let this blessed assurance control. That Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the Sight. The crowds 
to be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend even so. So in a lot of ways, we often find ourselves to be uh, rather like Timothy. Uh, despite the fact that, uh, that we live in a time and a place that, uh, that offers us unparalleled freedom, um, we are often fearful and, and ashamed, ultimately, of our faith in Christ. Um, we're fearful of what it might cost us to truly follow him. Uh, we, we are ashamed of what we were before him, or, or we're ashamed in advance of, of what it is that, that he might be calling us to become. Uh, or we might be ashamed that even though we've been in the church for years and years, decades even, we're ashamed that we don't know what the gospel is or, or what it is that it means to be a Christian. But what we learn from this passage today is that God has not given us a spirit of fear or of shame, but of power and of love and of self-control. That perfect love of God drives out all fear and washes us clean of our sin and our shame. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit within us, as, as we talked about last week. And that that that, that spirit of power and of love and of self-control enables us to do what Paul called Timothy to do. It enables us to suffer for the gospel. It enables us to follow the gospel. It enables us to guard the gospel or protect the gospel. Um, and so we might be called to suffer. We might be called to suffer uh, ridicule or embarrassment, if not physical suffering, for the sake of of the Word of God. Uh, now, I don't think at this time and, and in this place that we're quite to the point where, um, where we're looking at you know, losing a job or, or being thrown in jail because of our Christian witness, but we might get there at some point. Uh, and so we need to be prepared to suffer for the gospel. We also need to be prepared to follow the gospel. Um, Ultimately, that, that gospel truth isn't, isn't stagnant. It isn't something that just flows into us and, and then stays there. Uh, but it's something that flows into us and then should overflow out of us, uh, out of our lives and, and in, in greater and greater measure as time goes on. And people should see that overflow of that, of that gospel love. Um, and they should uh, and and they should have questions. Uh, you know, we should be acting in ways that that don't really make a lot of sense uh, to somebody who doesn't believe what we believe. Um, but we are following the pattern that was laid down for us by Christ, and that pattern is markedly different than the pattern of this world. And so our lives should not look like the lives of those around us. Our lives shouldn't make complete sense to, uh, to the, the unbelieving world around us. And so we should be prepared to follow the gospel, even when, um, even when it is uncomfortable or it is contrary to what the world around us would tell us is the right thing to do. So we need to be prepared to suffer for the gospel. We need to be prepared to follow the gospel. 
And we need to be prepared to guard the gospel. We need to protect the gospel from the lies that can distort it. Not because we, we are you know, legalists or because we're some sort of gospel police, but because we love Christ uh, and, and we love his gospel. And this is the most important thing in the world to us. If that's true, then we should, we should want to protect it. We should want to guard it. We should want to make sure that it doesn't get uh, corrupted or twisted or, or stained while, uh, while it's in our care, but we should be um, guarding it to be able to pass it on to the next generation so that we might be faithful stewards and they might be faithful stewards and their spiritual children might be faithful stewards. One of the, uh, one of the books that has been um, very helpful for me in, in my own walk and in my own understanding of this um, is called The Gospel-Centered Life. Uh, we've, we've done this um, once here at the church. It's a, it's a nine-part study that helps us to understand how the gospel should be shaping our lives and, and how the gospel should be informing the way that, that we look at and interact with the world around us. Um, if, that, if, uh, if this study is something that you would be interested in, in taking part in, um, please contact us. Um, you can go to dumbtownac.org uh, contact. You can message us on, on Facebook or on YouTube. Send us a letter, call us on the phone, whatever. Um, if, if you uh, would be interested in finding out more about how the gospel should shape your life, uh, we'd love to, uh, to walk alongside you um, as, we, as we walk through that study. We're so glad that you joined us this morning. We hope that this uh, time has uh, helped you to better understand who God is and, uh, and, and what it is that he has done for us. From number six, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go in peace.